Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 73 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 8th. 2009, and we have a very exciting show for you today on the podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. We like to take your questions on the podcast all podcast long. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. In the show today, we have Dan Weike of uscfootball.com. He's our beat writer. He'll be talking all about USC football team. We've got some good questions from uh, one of the fans out there. We'll be answering those. We'll have Harvey Hyde normally batting in the first spot. We'll have him later on in the show talking USC football. We'll have Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst. He'll be talking recruiting. We'll be answering more of your questions. But as promised, Dan Weike, we got him batting leadoff for the first time. What's up, Dan? Like showing off my speed, Ryan. Thanks for having me here first, you know. Slap a single maybe, just get on base and Watch for Harvey Hyde to drive me home, I guess. <laughs> I've seen your speed. I, I know it takes three singles afterwards to get you to score from first. Hey, I don't know. hey now. That's all right. It's, hey, you know, you, you did hit a home run on our softball team. A Two of times. them. Two home runs. That's not too bad. That's right. The ball got lost in a drain, so no one could get it. But, that, you know, <laughs> it still counts. Still almost got thrown out. Uh, all right. So uh, we do like to answer your questions. And uh, we had a really good question. It's actually kind of a long one. I'll probably talk take our whole segment. But it's from... Uh, Andrew Latham, he wanted to know about a lot of guys that you hear about uh, coming in from the recruiting class, but then they just kind of disappear. I mean, we, we talk all kinds of recruiting, Dan, you know, and five-star guys, a lot of hype surrounding these guys, and sometimes they make it into a program, and you never hear from them again. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the, part of, I guess, the game is, you know, you, you want to get as many guys as you can who are going to make an impact, but, you know, sometimes guys just kind of fall through the cracks, whether it's academics or depth chart things or personal reasons guys sometimes you know will bounce around a little bit and you know a guy who was a sure thing during the recruiting process all of a sudden becomes you know a big question mark like I was um, reading yesterday an old um, an old story about the uh, Army Army All-American game back when David Osbury committed and uh, Vidal Hazleton whose name we'll talk about a little bit in this segment and uh, Butch Lewis were all in that game together and, you know, I'm reading about how Butch Lewis is going to play defensive tackle <laughs> and how David Osbury is a prototype receiver. is going to step right in right away and be paired with Vidal Hazelson and how they're going to be the best, you know, tandem together. And at the time, it would have been hard to argue with those thoughts. I mean, you look at Osbury's size and, and Hazelson's uh, rep and, and, you know, Butch Lewis was, you know, a, a very good defensive tackle prospect. And, and now, you know, you look at it, you have Osbury who's trying, he's struggling to crack the top three. Or not, I wouldn't say struggling. He's but doing, he's doing well. But he's yeah. doing well, but I mean, but he's a guy who hasn't made an impact quite yet, really, like a, a major impact. Um, Vidal Hazleton is sitting out a year, um, you know, waiting for his transfer to go through at Cincinnati. Um, and Butch Lewis is, you know, offensive tackle, maybe an offensive guard, and, and you know, is a backup right now. And I mean, it happens not just guys that disappear. Like we're, we're going to talk about guys that are out of the program, but you know, other stuff like you mentioned too. Guys switch positions. I mean, that whole. I think that was the 05 class. I mean, the entire 
defensive line class moved to the offensive side of the ball. You know, Alex Parsons. You had a whole bunch of guys. Yeah. That were supposed to be defensive linemen. They end up at a, so not just that they transfer out, but sometimes people move around. They don't play where you expect them to play. Yeah. No. And I mean, that's the thing. I think you 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 get you get those guys in. You see who fits where. Sometimes you know the place where a guy fits is you know on a different team, and I think that's what the question kind of alludes to is sort of what happens to these guys. Um, why why did these guys leave? Maybe why um, or where do they end up? And, and kind of uh, stuff like that. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting question. Probably the longest question we've ever received. It's one of the longest ones. And we do like. I mean, we need topics. Does he get a t shirt for it? We can send him one. Andrew just dropped me an email. We'll send you a t shirt. But he said, uh, "Good day, Ryan Abraham. Just listening to your show about two months. Started listening to your show about two months ago. Wish I'd known about it years ago. Well, we were only been we've been around maybe <laughs> a year and a half. So the nineteen eighty three Parastyle yeah. podcast was a great year for us. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, he loves Georgia football recruiting, and he follows recruiting fairly intense, intensely on uscfootball.com. His question, what is some about some of the players recruited by SC but never made it to the field or past their second year? Uh, he gets really excited when recruited, USC recruited some of these players, and you never see them on the field, or they disappear with little or no production. Um, so he added, a, he added a bunch of names. He gave us a list of names, and I thought we'd go through this list and just kind of talk about all of them and uh, you know, kind of just – See where you know where these guys ended up and what's going on with them. We we did some research on all of them. We don't have everything on these guys, but we did as much as we could trying to find out where they were, um, and so we can kind of keep up to date on those. So you ready for the list, Dan? Yeah, here, fire away. I'll, I'll do the best I can with uh, with these guys. And if you don't know, I mean, I got stuff on all these guys. So Dan, if if there's something you don't know, just I might ask some questions about some of them too. Sure, so. yeah. If I if I can answer, I will do that. Um, you know, I'm getting old. My memory's kind of fading. But that's we'll do right. It. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it is. Okay. Uh, first one. It was uh, offensive. Uh, uh, lineman Matt Meyer. Matt Meyer is still at USC, to the best of my knowledge. No longer on the football team um, because of an injury. Um, I believe it was his foot. Yeah, he had a foot injury and ended up having surgery. There was some kind of degenerative condition, condition yeah. that he had there, and uh, I think it was, I think it was in January. It came down that he was going to have surgery. It was, uh, it was going to end his football career, but the surgery was successful enough that he would still have a normal life you know yeah. he just wasn't going to be able to support that 300 pound frame on the football around field, playing yeah. football so which is, which is too bad but you know i mean i think uh in those situations a guy like that stays on scholarship i don't i don't believe the university pulls a scholarship i don't i, don't I think, think you can st- there's some kind of continue there's like to, a contingency yeah. rule where i mean he doesn't count against the scholarship limit but they would still pay for his yeah so he'll get an education out of this and you know he'll leave with you know a USC degree, hopefully, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you've done all right for yourself with one of those. Sure, yeah, I've done okay. I'm not doing engineering anymore, but we do something else. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he was a really, it's probably a really nice kid. We got to meet him at a bunch of the camps and stuff. Big SC guy, and it was just a shame. I mean, a lot of USC fans really didn't like seeing him go. They didn't get to see him play as a Trojan. but because well, he came in early, right? I yeah, mean, he came in early, and it's just, you know, everyone wanted to kind of see him, and they, they had some depth issues with the offensive line anyway, and it kind of you know changed the way they had to recruit you know down the line, but just a really nice kid. You just shame to see him not have to play football anymore. But you're happy for him that he's not going to be debilitated for the rest of his life. Yeah. All right. So next one, uh, Maury Simmons. Not a not a pretty story. Uh, kid that USC recruited. Uh, he was set. I don't know when he was sentenced. It was a few months back. Four, yeah. Four years in prison for robbery, and there was a couple other charges. Yeah. Um, I mean, the story I think goes that wasn't he the driver. 
and an armed robbery. Yeah, and the, the other guy he was with got twelve years, I believe, and uh, there was a gun in the car. So his his younger brother, who's also a great prospect, did sign with USC. Some people were, you know, Marquise, uh, yeah, Marcus. Um, they could spell it Marquise, but Marcus Simmons. Um, He's still coming in. I, you know, we got to see him down. He's on you. He's on campus right now. We saw. He him is a stringy looking dude too. Like yeah. he, he, I mean, he is like really tight. I don't know. But they played in high school together. They were just yeah. a year apart. So a lot of people thought that you know because this happened with uh, Maurice that it wouldn't happen. But there's there's a lot of Simmons brothers. There's been other Simmons brothers at USC over the years, and uh, you know you wish you wish Maurice the best. Uh, and do you have anything else on him? No, I mean that's just a sad situation. I know that it was something where. Um, you know, USC never really officially revoked his offer or anything like that. They were, they were always kind of in a, let's see what the process, how the process plays out. And then I remember, you know, when the, when, when the word came down, I, I just remember Pete Carroll expressing, you know, sincere, I, if I felt like it was pretty sincere, especially with the work that he does yeah, with a better LA and, and stuff like that, that just sincere regret for the family and, and just, you know, wanted to let them know that he was there for them. And, you know, obviously it didn't affect um, what it did for, for Marcus, you know, it wasn't like they guilty by association or anything like that. I think that, you know, they, they still have pretty high hopes for Marcus and, and, you know, I I know that they, they think about, you know, Maurice and, and like you said, wish him the best. All right. Next one, your boy, I'll let you handle this one completely. Broderick green. It is my guy. My guy. Um, He's a good, good source for you until he transferred out. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Brad. Appreciate (laughs) it. No, um, Broderick is, uh, at Arkansas right now. Um, Kind of an upstart um, at Arkansas with uh, Bobby Petrino. Um, he um, was always just a really big, strong guy. But I think um, even from the first time I met him, I never got the feeling that he wanted to be a power back. That he was always that that was kind of a dirty word to him. That he wanted to be more of a a more all around kind of back, and he yeah, wanted to be he saw himself as that, like a, a scat back, back almost yeah. and stuff like that. Like you know, you're like 225 pounds, like, <laughs> dude, just run over some people, man. Like, you know, and you, and you want to t- just tell him that. And I know the coaches tried to tell him that, and they wanted him to run super tough. And eventually, he did and had like a, a really good, a really, really nice game against Washington State. And then, you know, a week later, he transfers. I think just for him, he was a, one of those victims of the depth chart, um, maybe got a little homesick. Um, you know, he, um, wanted to be home, uh, also with his, uh, a sick grandmother. Um, but, uh, but I also know too, that the depth chart was an issue for Broderick. And I think probably history will show that he made the right choice. I don't think he was, especially with the emergence of Curtis McNeil and then the class that they have coming into in 2010. It, it, I just don't know where his spot would have been. Yeah. You got, you got a kid that had a hundred yard game, you know, yeah. and, He's still not going to be able to find his way on the depth chart, which is just kind of interesting. The whole he just never wanted. I always thought he would be a goal line guy, and he just never wanted to be it. It didn't seem like. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, sorry, bro, but you know, we st- I still see his updates on Facebook and stuff. So he's doing he's doing okay. Seems like he's having a good time. Uh, Jameer Holland. Uh, do you know anything about him? He's at Oregon. Oregon. He did. He transferred to Oregon. Speedster kid. He was uh, out of Long Beach Poly. Super fast. Did some track. Um, he ended up sitting out 2007. He played in uh, seven games last year, and he did get the start against Oklahoma State in the bowl game. And on the very first play of that game, he scored on a flea flicker touchdown. So that was kind of like the highlight of his career. I think the most catches he had in any game were like two. Um, but he was a kid that wasn't uh, – you never got to talk to him, Dan, but just really wasn't um, – 
It wasn't super. I mean, he seemed like a nice kid. wasn't all that personable. wasn't super talkative. So I think he had some. You know, he just, just you know, talking with the media wasn't really his strong point and stuff. And it there was a lot of uh, pressure I think on him at USC. It just made sense for him to kind of go somewhere else. Sometimes kids just need to get away from home. I know that there's always um, there's always pressure on coaches to to recruit your backyard strong and to get the best players locally. But sometimes those players just need to get away. Um, that playing at home is too much of a distraction. It's too much weight. And, and I think maybe that it sounds like with Jameer Holland, that was one of those things. I, I do think he is a guy who I think Oregon has kind of hopes for still that can kind of contribute with, you know, a returning quarterback this year. I think he's a guy that they kind of look to to maybe step up and be a playmaker for him. Yeah, and anyone that can stretch a defense, he's, he does have speed. So uh, it seems like he's started playing more to the end of the season. So we'll have to see what yeah, happens. I mean, I remember him playing against – he caught a couple of balls against USC, I feel like. Or I think he did. I don't know if he caught a couple. I, I thought I read the most he had was two catches in a game. But he uh, may have gotten lit up against USC. I remember hearing his name <laughs> and, and being like, maybe maybe Taylor may have just cut him in half or something. Like he had that. a few kickoff returns as well. Um, so you know, I'm sure his role will expand a little bit this year. We'll have to see. Uh, he talked about running backs and depth chart stuff. This was a you know kid, uh, Kenny Ashley out of um, Venice High School, same school. Uh, Curtis McNeil mm-hmm. came out of, and a lot of hype around him being, you know, as a running back. Um, you know, he went to El Camino College. I mean, he, he, you know, there was grades issues, of course. El Camino College uh, committed to Ole Miss in 07, but, of course, you know, you were down there. I don't think he ever made it in there. No, and then there was, like, Mississippi State was in the picture. I think he committed to Mississippi State at one point in time. I think Mississippi, maybe afterwards, but Mississippi State was on him early, and people thought he was going to go there, and then he ended up, committing to USC and then that didn't work out. He didn't make it in there. Um, you know, they, you know, old, he went to El Camino, old miss never made it in there. I don't know if Mississippi state came afterwards as well, but they, I, they I were like, involved. I like Ole miss and, and I like what they were doing when I was down there and, and coach O is a, a really nice guy. Um, if you're a football player and you cannot get into Ole miss, <laughs> I'm not saying, <laughs> but I'm saying, Okay, so uh, he, <laughs> so he take he was, that rebels. It was mostly great. Sorry, Kenny. Um, so we're not sure where he is right now, but he never made it back into college. Kenny, football drop us an as, email yes. if you're listening. As far as we've seen, we never made it back to college football. Uh, Emmanuel Moody, another running back, kid out of Texas, transferred to Florida because there was uh, you know depth chart concerns and there was talk about his uncle being kind of an overbearing parent and stuff like that. Well, that was the time too when the the number of USC running backs was a national story. I think to- they had fifteen running backs and they were all at least four. No, there was ten. Seriously, there was like ten guys on the depth chart. Yeah, and that was kind of like you know obviously I think at that point in time somebody had to go, and it was. Many it was Moody. Moody, but everyone thought, well, you know, running. There's no running backs at Florida. They really didn't have any running backs, and he still ended up being like third on the depth chart or something. Yeah, then. well, I mean, he's a guy too that I think though that you know did some nice things towards the end of the year. Um, could uh, could split time with Jeff Demps this year? I think. Um, I don't know. It, it's just tough. I mean, when you transfer, a lot of times too, when you transfer to a school that's at the similar, like a similar kind of prestige. It's tough, I think. Like you look at like a guy, or if you transfer up in prestige, I think sometimes when people transfer and they look at the depth chart, they think we're just going to walk in and play right away. Whereas you know, you look. I mean, this is Florida, they're going to recruit good athletes. I mean, that's yeah. what, that's what they do. And you know, I mean, Jeff Demps is a guy who's faster. I mean, he was probably a bigger playmaker. I don't know if he's never down back, but 
I mean, Moody, obviously, when you go there, you're going to have to work for your playing time. You, you, you're not given anything just because you were a USC running back. Yeah, big deal. And then It's not like you transferred to, like, you know, Toledo. But if you transfer to a place that ran the ball consistently out of the running back position and not the quarterback, I mean, I, that would make a little bit more sense. But Florida never ran the ball. I mean, they just ran the quarterback and... It, it didn't seem like it was a good fit from the, the beginning, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're sharing carries with guys like Percy Harvin out of, like, the slot yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, it's not a traditional running it's a, attack. It's more of a gimmicky running. Like, you can say whatever you want about USC's offense, but they'll still run the ball about half the time, and they'll hand the ball off. It might be to five different backs in a game, but they will do traditional yeah. handoffs where you don't see all that. I mean, some of it at Florida, just not that much. Yeah, no, it's a, it's more the exception at Florida. It's like their trick plays are like halfback dives. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a trick play for Urban Meyer. Off tackle? Why are they doing that? Okay, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we wish uh, – I liked Emmanuel. He was a nice kid and uh, wish him all the luck down there in Florida. We'll see. I mean, you see him – Pretty girls time. in Florida. Pretty, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, my girlfriend would dispute that. She, you know, she's from Tennessee. She's like, Florida – University of Florida is not known for their – their the girls like old miss like obviously that that those kind of schools a lot of girls there she was saying florida is okay. not all right are you disagree you can disagree i don't know i've not been to the university i don't want to get in trouble you can get, that's okay all right uh we got to get through this list though um we have vidal hazelton you mentioned him at the top uh, of the show transferred to cincinnati uh so he's got to sit out of here right he transferred in in the in january yeah he's he applied for the waiver um like a, a, a grievous waiver to be closer to a sick or a sick relative i believe his grandfather if yeah. uh, memory serves me correct and yeah that was it was denied um so he's gonna wait a year he'll have one year left and um i don't know to try to i guess get his nfl plans back on track i think it became pretty clear what's gonna happen at usc for him all right, next one, uh, Josh, Joshua, he likes to be called Joshua Tatum. Uh, I remember that I did an interview with him when he was first coming in, getting recruited. He did prefer Joshua Tatum. Uh, what did you find out about him? He's at Missouri. Is yeah. It, he's a defensive end. At, uh, is he a defensive end? No, no. Linebacker. He's a linebacker. Sorry. Yeah. He's a linebacker at Missouri, um, sat out, ready to play. Um, he's got I, two years to play, too, after playing uh, College of San Francisco. Yeah, I went to College of San Francisco. Yeah, I went to a JC. Um, you know, I think – that's a good place. I mean, athletic defense. He's an athletic guy. He's a four-star junior college recruit. Um, I think they've got pretty high hopes for him. I think there's there's a chance he'll uh, he'll make an impact this year. I think Trojan fans would have liked to see it work out. He was a kid that definitely wanted to be at USC, and then even after, you know, he wasn't in there initially. He came by some of the camps. He he talked to people about. You know, he wanted to come back, you know. Yeah. And it, so it's, it's, it's. Was he an academics issue? Yeah, I believe his, his was an academic kind of thing. But well, that's it, another thing, too, that we, we, we didn't touch on was that sometimes it's just hard, too. It's not like USC is like a slouch academic school. It's a difficult school, you know, it's a, with very good academics. And, you know, obviously, I think when you look at football players, too, you know, you're not necessarily in the exact same kinds of students as you are if you're just applying to be, you know, in the engineering program. But, I mean, there are demands, academic demands put on them, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. It can drive someone crazy, you know. I mean, someone can be trying their best at a school like USC and might just not be smart enough. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he was a really nice kid. And two to play, two at Missouri. I think he saw the depth chart linebacker there and was like, I think I can go in there and play yeah. right away. So I think, I think they're excited to have him in there. He had a good JC career, so uh, we wish him luck. Uh, Antoine Perez, he's at the uh, University of Maryland. Now he transferred back in 2007, ended up playing 13 games last year, and he started a couple of them. He uh, after spring, he was the number two on the free safety 
uh, depth chart. But just he came all the way cross country. Just didn't seem to to work out for him here at USC. Yeah, hard to come all the way across country to sit. That's yeah. I think that's something that when you look at when you start to look at the depth chart, obviously P. Carroll always wants to play the best players. But if there's ever, I, I would think. An ulterior motive. Sometimes it's you look at those guys from out of state, kind of sneak up the depth chart because you you don't want to set a precedent just having those guys come and sit. All right, uh, next one up, Walker. This is probably the biggest mystery. This is like the clue game. Uh, you know, it was Walker. Mr. It was Walker Ashley. Walk, in, Walker in, Ashley in the parlor with with <laughs> the rope or the candlestick. I'm not sure. Um, so USC back in '05, but he had he committed to USC had uh, clearinghouse issues. He's from Minnesota. Uh, there were some issues with him getting cleared. He ended up never getting in there. Somehow resurfaced again at the University of Minnesota in 07. Uh, was supposed to go in there. The same thing happened. It's just, And I would talk, I remember talking to people then, trying to find out, talking to Minnesota people. People would call me, where is this kid? What happened to him? Because there was always reports that, okay, he's going to be at USC. Nope. And then, oh, he's going to be at Minnesota. Nope, never made it in. And, and you know, that Tim Brewster is the new coach at Minnesota, quoting that they're excited to have him in there and stuff. And he just kind of vanishes and he just never made it in there or anywhere else. Was he academic? Obviously, a clearinghouse. You yeah. know, if, if you have those clearinghouse issues once, they tend to stay with you. Um, just in, in general, you know, if uh, I look at a guy like Jarrell Poe at, at Mississippi or at Ole Miss. I'm oh, sorry. wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, you talk about, I mean, it took him seemingly, you know, three, I think it was three or four years almost to get in. Because he had those same clearinghouse issues each year, it, it's a lot of bureaucracy. It's it's a difficult process, and if you do something they don't like early on in the process, it's hard to kind of clear your name with the with the NCAA clearinghouse. All right. Uh, so yeah. So we'll try to find out more on him, but I don't even see him going to JC or anything. It's just kind of he's the mystery man. Again, drop us an email if you're if listening, Walker Ashley. Anyone has info on Walker Ashley or Mr. Ashley? You're listening yourself. Uh, Michael Coleman was kind of a funny guy before your time a little bit, Dan, but he got hurt in 05. He came in. I think he's most famous for talking trash about Lendell White, saying that he was better than Lendell White and stuff like that when he came to USC. Hmm. He uh, didn't play in all of 06, and then uh, after spring football, you know, he was off the team. I, I believe that was an academic kind of thing as well. He had some academic problems. Uh, you know, there was a lot. He had a big support group around, like a, from the Inland Empire, but it just never seemed to work out. He wanted to come back, end up going to Riverside Community College, wanted to come back in USC. Um, uh, former uh, R.J. Soward was his it was coaching at his old high school, and uh, had, had talked to him and said he did want to come back to USC, but never made it back. I'm not sure if it was because of what his was going, or if USC didn't want him back. But it just seemed to kind of disappear as well. All right, yeah. yeah I so. mean, nothing, nothing really to add there. It's, it's sad, you know. I mean, these a lot of these kids have such a great opportunity out of them, and for for one reason or another, it just doesn't work out. I mean, it can only work out for so many. He was one of those big backs. Some big backs had a problem. But they had Alan Bradford coming in, and there was depth chart problems there. So uh, Derek Jones, it was, I think I'm not even sure what he's done after 06, but he was, you know, a Long Beach Poly guy, fast guy, you know, started to go to USC, then Oregon. He had a two-year layoff between times, and um, so he didn't have to sit out when he transferred up to Oregon. He did a little bit in 06, and then poof, I'm not sure where he is after that. <laughs> <laughs> just gone. Disappear. I don't, did you find anything on him? I think he's Kaiser Soze. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I so I mean, I, think, I didn't see anything other than that. Either. Like he's a guy who's the trail kind of goes cold. It just it did go cold there. I couldn't find anything else on him. Uh, Rocky and Hot- seriously, have a more like discreet like if you're gonna go cold like that, have some sort of crazy name that we can find you. Like Derek Jones, is- <laughs> like seriously, Derek Jones, like. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think you're a tax accountant in Provo, Utah, but you might be. Right. Uh, okay. Here's the most interesting guy, uh, Rocky Hines, um, quarterback at USC, and it didn't you know it didn't work out here. He ended up redshirting in '04 and transferred to UNLV. Maybe I'll talk to Harvey Hyde about it. I bet you he knows some stuff. Well, I mean, I'll bring him up when, in our segment with Harvey Hyde. He ended up starting 11 games in 2006. Had a serious injury. And apparently the head coach, uh, Mike Sanford, didn't want him back when he came back. And he put out a a 10-minute YouTube video, like diatribe, just blasting with uh, expletives and stuff, blasting the program, blasting his head coach. And it was so, you know, he left USC, wasn't all that happy. He left UNLV and was extremely unhappy. Where is he now? I'm not sure where he is now. I, I mean... He didn't go back. He ended up starting a whole bunch of games. I'm not sure whatever happened to him. But I got you know, if you guys want to just go to YouTube and uh, search for Rocky Hines, I'm most certainly going to do that. It's uh, it's pretty funny. I got I have I watched it a while ago. I'm going to watch it again. Uh, Eugene Germany, uh, kid, uh, you know, went to USC, Michigan, signed with USC, but he never got to enroll at USC. Academic, I, I yeah. believe he was. A, yeah, academic problems. It seemed that this kid had some. Some baggage, but ended up going to Michigan and, and got busted for played pot. there. Yeah, played there, but then dismissed for the team because he got caught with some marijuana. Um, and then uh, in 07, he got yeah. busted. Yeah, and then from there, he, he was going to go to Arizona State, and um, they never. They, it it wasn't that he didn't get in necessarily. It was that they just uh, Dennis Erickson said, you know, he's not going to play football here for us. Yeah. So uh, I think I think he maybe broke some team rules, maybe missed some meetings or something like that. But all right, and uh, Jeff Schwager is a kid that he was actually at USC for three years, and uh, everyone liked him. Defensive end, could uh, rush, you know, speed rusher kind of guy. Um, just didn't work out. He ended up transferring up to San Jose State. He had uh, one and a half sacks in nine games, and a lot of people thought he might get drafted, but he ended up get undrafted. I'm not sure if he signed with anybody. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I haven't seen that, but we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll try and search for you. And then the last one, I'm sorry, we're running a little long. Uh, Whitney Lewis, everybody's favorite. Uh, Tell me about Whitney Lewis, Ryan. Whitney Lewis came in, and uh, when they were ranking, I forget, I forget which class it was, 2002 or something like that, he came. Um, he was number two or number three in the country, according to Rivals.com, right next to Reggie Bush. You know, I mean, it was him and Reggie who was going to be the better, you know, Running back prospect. The future, right? Yeah, and uh, he ended up coming in. There was he had number controversy. Apparently, he didn't get along with Norm Chow, and he got in the doghouse. There was number controversy. They Brandon Hans had the number four, and he wanted it, and they took away. Brandon Hans was a transfer quarterback from Purdue. He was in the the running to to win the quarterback job when you know Leinert and all those guys. So uh, no, wait, that was um, sorry, that was, yeah. Was that the year? Was that the booty year? No, I think it was the yeah, I think it was the booty year, and he wanted to come in. It was all yeah, his booty's freshman year, and he was around. There was all these quarterbacks. He and they took away number four from Hans and gave it to Lewis, and that caused all this controversy and stuff. Um, yeah, so uh, he ended up blowing up, and he was you know he's like six foot six six foot and a half, like two hundred forty pounds. And you're like okay, you're not a receiver anymore, and then didn't want to be a fullback. They kind of moved him around, and it just 
it just never worked out. He ended up going after a sophomore year, went to uh, Northern Iowa. And he, he played running back, but then he moved to receiver. And uh, so we'll have to see what happens there. I believe he's still you know, at Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa, a, a, nice, uh, a nice program. Yeah, not too bad. Um, they have a dome. You have to. It snows all the time, right? I don't know why I know that, but they have a they have a gigantic dome. That's interesting, you know. Yeah, but but the problem, the thing with Whitney Lewis, he's the ultimate. This is the ultimate guy for this kind of question because he came in with the most expectations. Yeah, I mean, expectations were through the roof. Five star guy, number two, number three guy in the country, and what the heck happened to him? He just it just never worked out. And I don't think it was. Yeah, he got in the doghouse. He had opportunities, but he didn't seem to work all that hard. He wasn't the star running back at Northern Iowa, you know, so mm-hmm. he, with the talent at USC, if you can't be the star there, I don't think you're going to be the star at USC. And it just, I think he got frustrated. It just never worked out for him. Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, from talking to some guys too, who've come back from injuries, guys like Mark Tyler, a huge part of this is confidence. And I think maybe if you come in as a freshman, you've got this, you know, the kind of the weight of the world on your shoulders because you've been ranked, you know, in the top five, I think that sometimes you expect yourself to come in right away and dominate because and, you're used to it, you know. And you come in, maybe you, those early opportunities, you struggle, you fall behind a guy like Reggie Bush. Now all of a sudden you're starting to ask yourself, maybe I'm not Maybe I'm not this good. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. And then you start to project that out on other people by saying, you know, it's their fault, it's their fault. Next thing you know, you know, you're playing the blame game, your confidence isn't there, and, you know, you're catching passes at, 320 pounds at Northern Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I think he's up. I think he's around 320, 325 right now. But nice. He, he blew up when he was at USC. There's just no, he wasn't in shape. It wasn't, I mean, there was people, there's, there's people on both sides, people who were supporting him. And there's people that were, you know, against him. They were saying, you know, he's in the wrong here. But it, it, I saw him on the practice field. It didn't look like he was working as hard as the other guys. And it seemed like he kind of let himself go a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, <clears throat> that's going to happen when you recruit you know, two top four guys who play the exact same position. Well, he was, I think they wanted him to be a receiver at first, you know? Okay. That was the uh, plan. Yeah. It's, but it just, they moved him around. It just didn't seem to work out and poof. Yeah. I mean, you're at Northern Iowa. Yeah. But that Reggie Bush guy did all right. Yeah. The Reggie Bush did. Okay. He ended up winning the Heisman. So, so that's a good example. I mean, it's a good way to end this segment because you got guys that have like all the potential in the world. Boom. And uh, they end up being, you know, all, uh, all Americans and win the Heisman. And the same guy that has just as much potential ends up being at Northern Iowa. It's not a science recruiting no. in, in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, you're going to miss that. I think that was the remarkable thing that Pete Carroll told me last year was that he felt like they hit on just about everybody in last year's recruiting class, which is rare. I mean, typically over the, over the course, that's why you don't have 16 or 17 guys graduating at the same time, because you know, the numbers get thinned out over the years, guys, red shirt guys leave the team, Guys, transfer. I mean, it doesn't rarely does it happen where you keep an entire recruiting class together. All right. Well, Dan, thanks for uh, leading off for us. We went a little long in this segment. That's okay. It was a really good. Thanks for the question. question. Yeah, Andrew, that was great stuff. And uh, anyone else, topics or questions you want us to answer, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Thanks again, Dan, for coming to the studio. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone else, quick break. We're going to talk some USC recruiting in the next segment. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. 
Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting in this segment with uh, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. What's going on, Gerard? Nothing much. Just uh, trying to beat the heat that's about to uh, come down on us this weekend. I can already feel it getting hot out here in the IE, so... Not necessarily looking forward to it, but hey, man, it's summer, so I guess, you know, it's the seasons, right? Only kind of seasons we get in Southern California. It's hot, and then it's not so hot. <laughs> you got to come down to the beach, Gerard. It's nice down here. It's warm, but not, you know, it's just mild. Yeah, okay. You like that? You like the, the heat from the Inland Empire. Okay, Mr. 909, let's, uh, we got some questions. So if you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Uh, these are from J.D. White on recruiting. First one has to do with the offensive line, and uh, he says right now only Bryce Schwab is committed. He has two years uh, left. Dak Smith, who he feels is a project, and, and possibly Giovanni DiPaolo, he feels they need to sign another one or two offensive line players, and what he, he wanted to know what the chances were uh, the, of other of offensive linemen out there with offers, guys like Jake Matthews, uh, Chaz Green, Sontrell Henderson, guys like that. Uh, what kind of chances does USC have with those type of guys? Well, it's uh, I wouldn't say great. Uh, Jake Matthews, at this point, last time I heard, and it was uh, probably a month ago, maybe a little longer, uh, basically looked like Texas A&M. Um, now, the thought was he's not real big on the city, and he's not real big about getting away from home. He's a little bit of a country boy and you know, living out there on a big ranch and whatnot. Texas A&M seemed to suit him. Uh, as a person a little more, and that doesn't have a lot to do with football, but uh, has a lot to do just with uh, kind of things away from football and, and his comfort level, which, you know, you, you understand. I mean, it's not uh, – L.A. And, and Los Angeles, big city, is not for everybody. So that seemed to be the issue for him, and a lot of people said, no way, he's going to leave state. I don't really think anything has really changed. He didn't come out to the Rising Stars camp. That would have been kind of a big signal that, hey, you know, he is interested in USC, does want to see USC more seriously, get a behind-the-scenes look of the program. Didn't take that opportunity. He has uh, been at Texas A&M a lot, and people will go, oh, you know, Texas A&M, the football program's struggling. They can't believe a guy would pick, pick, you know, pick Texas A&M over at USC. But, again, you know, it's not all about football for these kids. So, you know, his dad has just gotten a job there with the uh, Houston Texans. Um, so being local for him may be very important. Uh, there is some talk that, you know, if he would have committed or if he likes Texas A&M so much, he would have committed a long time ago. You know, why would he wait? Uh, when he could have committed to Texas A&M any time. Um, maybe that gives Texas a little bit of an opening. Uh, but, you know, I've heard some conflicting info of whether he's really interested in Texas or uh, whether he feels like Texas would be a good fit for him. It seems like Texas A&M, his brother, plays. Or there's just so many factors that really play in for them. So, you know, with uh, Jake Matthews, no, I wouldn't say USC has a great shot for him. Uh, T.J. Lifelike, I, I think T.J. Lifelike's actually a little more open um, to going across country for USC. I think he really likes USC as a program. He's enamored with uh, living on the West Coast. But the idea of USC for T.J. Lifelike 
is is good. Actually being able to move across country and go away from his family. He does have family in Southern California, but it's just aunt and uncles. Uh, you know, actually being able to do it, the, the reality of living out here and being out here for four years, you know, that's something that I don't think anybody's really going to be able to gauge with him until we get into the official visit process. Um, he's looking at North Carolina, Florida. There's a lot of e-schools that are after him. And so, I, you know, with a kid that far away, can you ever say, oh, USC has a, has a great shot at him, has a good shot? I'd say they have a fair shot at this point. I, I think that, you know, they're in the running with him. And, again, I think there's some serious interest in there, but whether it's able to be cultivated through the, the official visit process and when it comes down to crunch time over the holidays, that remains to be seen. So, um, you know, he, he's a guy that you, know, you could put in that maybe 40-60 range, you know, 40% USC, 60% elsewhere. Um, but, again, I mean, that's pre-official visit, and you kind of have to take that, the, that pessimistic look at things when you're talking about a kid that's over there on the East Coast. Sean um, Henderson, I think USC has a good shot at uh, haven't heard from Chantrell in a while. Uh, he was supposed to take an unofficial visit out here the week of the Rising Stars camp and never heard back from him whether he made it, whether he didn't. Um, but the way he talks about USC and, you know, I think even before his scholarship offer, some of the things he said about USC, he's very serious about it. And he's a guy that actually I think he wants to go to the big city. He wants to go to a place that is a form for his abilities and his abilities to get to the NFL. And he really looks at USC as the, the, the preeminent uh, NFL jump, you know, kind of uh, springboard uh, in college football right now. And so he loves USC, man. He loves the football program. He, he definitely talked about, you know, I want to play in the bigger city. I don't want to go out somewhere in the two leagues. A lot of people early on said, oh, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be a lot for Notre Dame. Notre Dame, you know, has a, has a great uh, pipeline to that high school because of Michael Floyd going there, Creighton Durham. But the truth of the matter is he doesn't really like Notre Dame right now, and I don't think Notre Dame's really one of the schools at this point that's really a serious contender for him. I think Ohio State might be more of a contender for Chantrell Henderson. So, uh, you know, we'll see how the process plays out. And, and again, that's another guy that, you know, he is far away. And how hard USC recruits him is is another thing that we kind of have to watch. I mean, they came in a little late on the evaluation process, uh, you know, didn't send a ton of coaches out there, uh, didn't necessarily match you know, what some of these other programs have done in terms of recruiting Chantrell Henderson. So we have to see how that how that goes. I mean, right now, though, when you're talking about offensive linemen, and whether it be locally or you're talking about nationally, there's not a lot of names on the board. There's not a lot of great offensive linemen out there this year. This is not a great year for offensive linemen. So, you know, a guy like Chantrell Henderson, uh, you know, you, maybe you hesitate in a normal year when you've got some guys, you know, locally or in the West region that you really like that, you know, you go, well, you know, it'd be easier to recruit these guys. They're closer. We don't have to deal with that distance factor. But this year, you know, there's just not a lot of those guys out there. So taking a chance on a guy like Chantrell Henderson, it, it, you might have to do it if you're USC. So um, that's a guy that I think is a little more closer to that 50-50 range in terms of USC shot of him. Um, Chaz Green is the last kind of out-of-state guy that's a big name, uh, a great player. He's pretty much admitted Florida is, is, is a definite leader for him. He likes USC. I think he really likes Pat Rule. It sounds like his his relationship with Pat Rule is very strong, and he's you know he wants to give USC a look, but never been out here to California. Having Florida as a leader, uh, Florida is a great recruiting power as well. I mean, they they definitely get their share of kids and and in state when you're battling against them, that's really tough. And, and coming cross country when he didn't make the Rising Stars camp, hasn't taken any unofficial visits to my knowledge. Um, you're just hoping you get an official visit and you're kind of in the running there um, as time goes on. But I, I think that one's a more of a long shot. So that kind of summarizes in terms of USC's. You know where they stand uh, in terms of out-of-state prospects on the offensive line, and, and maybe what they're trying to 
did you, you know, coming from this point on, maybe, again, still trying to find some guys uh, like Giovanni DiPaolo, guys that are maybe not the big, you know, 300-pound guys that are just can't miss guys, but really kind of looking at some guys that are maybe underdeveloped, and maybe can you bring them in as a project and they can be contributors to your offensive line later, you know, two, three years from now? Now, uh, on Henderson, if people don't know, I mean, he's a guy ranked really, really high, according to rivals, just not for offensive linemen, but for just players in general, right? Number one player in the country, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get much higher than that. So to get a guy like that, was USC not that high on him early on, even though Rivals had him ranked that high? Well, USC's rankings and Rivals' rankings may not necessarily coincide. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just in terms of from what I've gathered by, you know, following his recruitment and talking to Chantrell and just, you know, certainly I just haven't gotten the vibe that USC has been just, you know, pounding on his door like some of these other programs have. And when you've got a number one recruit in the nation, it's going to be that, that way. You're going to get a lot of programs that just go crazy and they're going to send, you know, as many coaches as they can, eight coaches, you know, for a, a May evaluation kind of thing, just to make a statement, hey, we really, really want you. USC brought Pat Rule up there kind of late. It was, I think it was the last week of the, the evaluation process. And obviously that was, you know, a good step forward and, and there was, you know, something there to be seen. And I think Pat Will didn't actually see him practice. He just came on campus and it was just kind of a, you know, hey, we're here, you know, USC, we're, you know, we got our foot in the door, we're, 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 we're in it with you. I just haven't gotten necessarily the vibe like uh, USC's going all out for him, uh, maybe the way they have for other recruits. And, and that can change and obviously USC does things differently. And the thing is, Chantrell is very understanding of that. I mean, talking to him, one of the first questions was, you know, you've, had a, you've got a bunch of offers here early on in the process. Florida, I mean, just every offer he can, you can possibly imagine. USC comes a little later to the table. I mean, they didn't offer him officially until it was almost May. And for the number one recruit in the nation, that's a late offer. So I asked him, I said, you know, is that, is that going to affect your, your, your opinion of USC? I mean, do you feel a little slighted by that? And he said, no. He says, I understand how USC does things. And when you win, you know, national championships like USC, you're putting guys in the NFL like USC, you're the program that USC has, you can afford to do things differently. I understand that. I like USC. I've always kind of wanted to hear from USC. He, want, he kind of waited on that scholarship offer. And that, to me, I mean, that's a kid that, hey, you know, he's willing to kind of go and, with the flow and, and see how USC wants to, to kind of work his recruitment. And that tells me he's got a lot of interest in USC. All right. Uh, so the second part of the question Thanks, J.D., for the question, by the way. Podcast at uscfootball.com if you want to send us a question in. You want to talk about some linebackers there. USC is definitely going to recruit some linebackers. Hayes Pullard, Tony Jefferson, Jeff Luke, Josh Shirley. He mentioned those kind of names. What kind of shot does USC have with those guys? Uh, Hayes Pullard, they've got a very good shot at. Um, he wasn't at the Rising Stars camp, which was kind of surprising. He did show up to the – well, Crenshaw showed up to uh, USC's passing tournament – uh, a couple weekends ago, well, it was a few weekends ago now, um, and and was just phenomenal there. He had like 13 touchdowns in this passing tournament, and uh, really, the more I see Hayes Pollard, the more I like him. I mean, early on, he's kind of a six foot, 215 pound linebacker. You know, doesn't just blow you away with his size or or anything right off the bat, but. Um, you know, watching him play in space and watching him do a lot of the little intangibles, the things that you want, especially from a middle linebacker. Uh, nowadays, when you have so many passing offenses, you need to have a guy that can play that cover two, can get in the deep middle, has a little bit of awareness in space, you know, as to where the ball is going, where the receivers are, where you got to play your zone. And he's really got all that. He's really a smart guy, very intuitive. He sees it. He's instinctual. And playing offense uh, in that passing tournament, 
the guy was making great catches across the middle, I mean, just great hands. And so I was pretty impressed with him, and he showed out in that uh, passing tournament at USC. USC coaches got to see him. He got to pretty much be coached by Ken Norton. I mean, Ken Norton was in his back pocket the whole time, yelling at him, you know, calling him names, telling him, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, it, you know, it's kind of a fun thing. So he did get that kind of camp experience sort of um, at USC, uh, but didn't show up to the Rising Stars camp. UCLA and USC kind of seem to be the two schools um, that are that are really, really pushing for him now. He wants to hear from the SEC a little more, but I would have to say that that SC and UCLA are the two front runners for him. And I think SC's They've, they've got they've got a possibility there. I, I, I would give them maybe even a little bit of a lead right now, um, but you know we have to kind of see how that how that plays out. I mean, Crenshaw has definitely been a UCLA school for a number of years. Cal used uh, is, is a Crenshaw school, excuse me, and um, you know those those guys just don't end up at USC. So this would kind of be one of the first guys that USC uh, is able to get from Crenshaw. But you know they made some. They, they made some moves there, actually getting Crenshaw, the whole team, out there for the passing tournament. That was kind of a, a win in and of itself, a, a, a positive. Um, so, yeah, I think Hayes Pollard is, is a definite you know, possibility for USC. Uh, Tony Jefferson's being recruited as a safety. Tony Jefferson coming away from Rising Stars camp, I think not as high on USC as he was going into the Rising Stars camp, mainly because of the safety rotation. Um, you had uh, you know, Deion Bailey. You had uh, Dietrich Riley. Um, you, you had a few different safeties there, and Dietrich and, and, and Dion were pretty much the first-team rotation at safety. And I think that, talking to Tony, yeah, soured him a little bit. He, he kind of feels like maybe you know he, he's not sure where he stands with the USC. And I think a guy that was really, really heavy on USC now maybe kind of looking um, to, to, to kind of play his options out a little more. He likes Texas, wants to hear from Ohio State. Um, Florida's, you know, a player with him. Uh, but that's a guy that's a safety prospect, not a linebacker prospect. He's about six foot, 195 pounds, wouldn't play linebacker. Uh, I don't think at any of the schools really that he's looking at this point. He's pretty much decided, yeah, I'm going to be a safety prospect. Um, Jeff Luke, you know, that, that's the big fish. That's the real, you know, the uber athlete out of state, um, out there in Florida, um, Treasure Coast High School, 6'1", 235 pounds, middle linebacker. He's just a beast. Uh, looks like he's been working out since he was five years old. Um, he's just he, he's a monster. You know, I, he, I think he's serious about USC. I talked to his coaching staff a while back, and, and after that May evaluation period, and Ken Norton came in, and, and uh, they brought in Tom McNair, and, and you, you could see that there was a little more of a rapport, and, and he got to talk to USC a little more. He really likes those coaches, and he really likes USC as, the, as a program that, you know, again, that NFL – factory that that form that you get from pro scouts when you play at USC he really liked that and he really liked the idea of playing in S, uh, in Los Angeles and, and the big city and the, the marketability that you have there um, so but but again you know it's Florida's backyard East Coast kid can you say USC has a good shot at a kid like that when he hasn't taken a visit out here and hasn't been out here for a camp yet no you know still kind of a moderate long shot but you know there is some there's some definite serious interest there but we just have to see you know how practical it becomes for him to actually move across country uh, to go to USC when he's got Florida there defending national champions that uh, you know they're obviously going to offer a lot for him as well um, but so there's Luke there's Josh Shirley who's local Josh Shirley came into the Rising Stars camp and was really looking at Tennessee and UCLA more um, Shirley's kind of a, a hard guy to figure out I still get the vibe that UCLA is the leader for him um, I talked to him just the other week at the B2G camp. We were chatting, and he said USC definitely made 
they made a move. You know, they 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 kind of pulled things to be a little more even in terms of his favorites, and uh, and he's you know he's feeling better about USC because of that camp situation. And again, I, I've said this probably on other podcasts. USC's greatest recruiting tools are coaches, and when you get a camp, uh, you get a get a kid in a camp situation, and you get them to be coached by USC coaches, and the atmosphere and the intensity, it's just so much different than you get anywhere else. And I think that kind of stood out to him. But again, it seems like the playing time issue is something that he's thinking about uh, for whatever reason. UCLA, uh, you know, I'm sure there's other factors seem to be playing towards him a little bit. Um, but he's a guy that's a that's a that's a tweener. Um, Kind of, you know, he projects as a linebacker in college. I've seen him play a, a bunch of times, and I don't know if I'm sold 100% if he's going to be able to play linebacker in college. I, I, I think he's definitely got a lot of ability to play defensive end. That's where all his plays are. That's what he plays in high school. And stepping back in a linebacker, where you look at a guy like, you know, Hayes Pullard, who just, you know, has the awareness, has the instincts, just naturally can play in space. And it can be a coverage guy, you know. Shirley's still working on that a lot. Um, he needs to. He, he. I don't know if he just needs more reps or he's just not going to be able to do it. That's just not his thing. But um, that's going to be something to watch uh, to see if he's able to really be a linebacker in college and how USC approaches that, knowing that they may be playing from behind uh, for him. You know, with with UCLA and maybe some other schools um, throughout the recruiting process. Um, and another guy that wasn't mentioned is Christian Jones. Um, that's you know he's talking about Florida. And uh, and uh, Florida State right now, Florida State being the leader, he's you know got family that have played at Florida State. His dad, I think, his brother are both in Florida State. Uh, but that's a kid that we talked to, and, and again, he is seriously considering you know looking at USC and, and giving them a chance. I think um, you know again Florida, Florida State. When you got an in-state kid, you know he's playing at uh, Winter Haven or Winter Park or wherever he is, which is I think around Orlando area. Um, you know that's he's he's up there closer to them and definitely very familiar with those programs. You can never say, you know, USC has a, has a good shot or a great shot at a guy when, when, that's, when that's, you know, what we're looking at. That's the status quo is, yeah, okay, Florida, Florida State. He's been there a bunch. He's naming those as a leader. But at this point, it's not a bad thing. You know, you don't want a kid to necessarily say, yeah, I really like USC. They're in my top two um, because that's going to be tough for USC to recruit against um, because he's going to have everybody and his brother in the SEC saying everything bad he can't possibly about USC. So right now USC's kind of under the radar, but I think he's, you know, he's definitely giving them a look. He's 6'4", 220. He's one of those guys that's a little more of what USC looks like, it looks at it for a prototypical linebacker, you know, a little bigger, a little rangier. Um, he's just great on film. Uh, but we'll see, you know, another guy that you'd have to still say is a moderate long shot, whether he's looking at USC seriously and will official, officially visit or not. You just got to look at him and, and say, okay, he's over there, and until he comes out here and gets a feel for USC in person and there's some type of vibe, you know, again, a moderate long shot. So that's kind of how things are shaking out. Um, Kyrie Fort is another guy up in Connecticut. Same thing as with Luke and as with uh, Christian Jones, you know, a guy that is definitely going to look at USC. Definitely there's some factors there that he sees is, is, is unique to USC and, and reasons why he can go to USC. But actually getting on a plane and coming out to USC, he has yet to do it. And until he does it and until, you know, you see some serious effort on his part to see USC and, and to, to look at them seriously, you have to look at him and say, oh, it's a moderate long shot. So we'll see. I mean, again, it all changes as the official visit process comes along and these kids are able to come, to come in and, and get that feel and that report from the coaching staff. And, uh, again, they, they do something on their end to kind of show USC that they are really interested. All right, Gerard, great stuff. J.D., hopefully that uh, answered your questions. If that didn't, I don't know what would. Um, thanks again, Gerard, for uh, joining us and, and answering the recruiting questions. I'm sure we'll talk to you again next week. 
Okay, is that it? Yeah, that's it, man. We, we you know, we we got our questions. Took up in. all my time. Yeah, <laughs> but cool. But we will definitely talk to you next week. Everyone else, take. We're going to take a real quick break, and we'll talk with Coach Harvey Hyde about the USC football team. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, our third and final segment. We're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde joining us. Coach, how are you doing, man? Man, I couldn't be better. Beautiful weather. The sun's out. The beaches are perfect. Football season's not that far away. What can I say? You're Couldn't not, have it any better. You're not on Catalina, though, huh? I'm not on Catalina this week, <laughs> but my dog's with me. Taking okay, a little good. nap here. And she may arrive back here on the scene shortly. I can never predict that, you know? Uh, no problem. We, we don't mind when she comes around. We get her opinions on USC football a little bit. Um, she does. She, she has a blanket, a USC blanket she sleeps on. <laughs> so I didn't know she's a, that big of a Trojan fan. Pretty cool, Coach. Oh, she's a huge Trojan <laughs> fan. She watches every game with me. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, Coach. I mean, away games, away games. Right. Yeah. You can't bring her to the press box or anything. I haven't done that yet. Maybe Tim Tesla will let you in. I don't know, you might just have to ask him about it. Well, you know, I'd have trouble getting to security, but who knows? Maybe I could put her in my briefcase for a minute. <laughs> a bit of there. All right. Well, I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor for the segment, Coach Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website address, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for concerts, sporting events, theater, you need some Dodger tickets because uh, Manny's back, any of that, give Southern Tal- California Tickets a call. You're exactly right. I'll tell you what, I'm going to use them uh, for uh, the Jersey Boys, and you're going to use them for some something in L.A., right? Yeah, I'm looking at doing one, uh, the, one of the shows. Uh, I was talking to my girlfriend. She might, there might be some different shows she want to see, but, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to go back to them. But they did a real good job with my Red Sox ticket, so I was happy about that. That's all that counts. You've got to be happy. You've got to be happy when you're a champion and a winner. Champion, winner. All right, well, speaking of champion and winner. Why don't we talk about the USC coaches? I mean, the USC Trojans coach. Well, we could talk about the coaches too, if you want, but we'll talk about the Trojans. Okay. So we had a good question. I thought it'd be a nice topic for um, our segment this time. And I I figured you being a former coach, you could kind of share your insights on what was going on here. Um, It's from uh, TD. He wanted to know uh, basically the skill set differences between a safety that plays on the strong side and a safety that's known as the free safety. So um, he found it interesting because Taylor Mays returned to get some more experience at the strong safety position, and they, they talked about doing that this year. Coach, he played a lot of free safety last year, and uh, you know they, they talked about him playing more strong safety this year where he could make more plays. And uh, he, you know, he also wanted to ask you about, you know, what about safety responsibilities when the strong safety comes up for the run support rushing the passer, stuff like that. He, he mentioned Troy Palomalo from the Steelers, former USC safety, doing that a lot. And uh, is that the kind of play that Taylor Mays wants to make in college as well? But So I guess just to start off first in general, you know, 
the differences, the main differences between strong safety and free safety? Well, it'd be great if you could have a, have a safety that could do both. Then you don't have a strong safety and a free safety. All you do is invert one up to the line of scrimmage and uh, one uh, to the safety spot. But that normally doesn't happen, and uh, sometimes you have two safeties when you're running cover two or a rotation and so on, so you have two deep safeties. But I'll tell you, the difference between a strong safety and a, and a free safety, if that's what you want to call it, is, is a strong safety is the more physical of the two. He's the one that uh, supports the tight end side of the strong side of the offensive formation, the strongest side for the run as far as re- uh, responsibilities on uh, plugging a hole, whether it's uh, depending what a, a stunt might be going on or the outside force, depending on what the coverage might be. And, and he is the, 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 the secondary person that does a lot of stunning. Of the two inside safeties, the strong safety does more blitzing or stunning than the, the free safety because he's a more physical type of guy and, and so on. Now you have a lot of corner blitzes too, which really work well, and FC does a lot of that too from the backside. But, but I think what Taylor Mays is, the reason he came back is, I think his number one thing is to prove that he needs to play more on the line of scrimmage and learn and work on his techniques as far as tackling, blitzing, and doing things that he really hasn't done before. He's always been like what we call a center fielder. A safety is a center fielder, which means he covers the field. Now, he's a tall guy, so he can cover a lot of field, knock down a lot of passes. It's hard to throw the ball over his head, and he can help the corners because he's so fast and so big. Now, in the NFL, I don't know if they're sure if he can do that as well in the NFL as what he has done in college. So I think what he's going to do is improve his stock by being able to show them that he can do that as far as play deep and also be a strong safety, too, and be the type of of, uh, safety that can tackle, throw a person for a loss, not block a person down, but tackle a person down, run a person down from behind behind the line of scrimmage. And, And I think that's what he'll be able to prove this year. So a a strong safety is a miniature linebacker. What I mean by that, he could be a linebacker if if, if necessary. He could come up, play on the line of scrimmage, play close to the line of scrimmage, and make plays on the line of scrimmage like a linebacker does. So uh, I I think Taylor is going to be a great player. It's a strong safety. Yes, he could still be a free safety, and he may play a lot of free safety this year. I'm not sure what they're planning on doing with the abundance of talent that they have in the secondary. But I really believe Coach Carroll has worked out a deal with Taylor that he is going to work on some of the skills that he needs to work on and improve on to make sure that this year, uh, as far as him coming back to the Trojans, will not only help the Trojans, who can, who can say they're not going to help the Trojans, but also help Taylor make himself a better football player, complete football player, than just being the free safety and people not knowing really as far as a scout. Can he play uptight? Can he make the tackle off tackle? Can he blitz? Can he do some of the things that really the NFL has not had an opportunity to evaluate? So I think the difference between a free safety and a strong safety is to say the strong safety is a more physical player and plays the run more and the, and the free safety is more of a center fielder that is back there to not allow the deep pass to go over his head. Now, Coach, it, and we're going to talk about Taylor Mays a little bit more. It's really interesting. I mean, he's such a freak player. 
he's probably not a great example just because he can do so many things. But if, if the coverage is different, and, and, you know, sometimes you talk about USC playing a Tampa 2 or, you know, a cover 2 kind of scheme, does it depend on the coverages? Because, I mean, it seems like a lot of times it's hard to tell who's the strong and who's the free because if they're just playing a two deep thing where the, the two safeties are deep, both are back, you know, one is definitely on the strong side of the field where the tight end is, but they seem to be almost, you know, it's more of a zone thing. So they don't really have the tight end responsibilities. And it's more of just kind of taking that side of the field and any receivers that come deep in their area, they're kind of responsible for. Is there, is there a difference, I guess you could say, what, depending on the coverages? Yeah, there is a difference on the coverages. And when they run a two-deep zone like that, the safeties, when they're back off the line of scrimmage about 10 yards or, or deeper sometimes, and more most of the time, you're exactly right. They are not responsible for the runoff tackle then. They, the corners are responsible for the force. If the play comes towards the, the strong side or the weak side, the corners must then come off, roll off, come up and make the play, and the safety will go back and pick up his receiver. So, you know, if a back comes to the flat on that coverage, then the corner picks up the back, and then the safety rotates over and picks up the split receiver. And that's where they try to hit that pass in the seam. They'll put a back in the flat. They'll run the receiver up the, up the sideline, and they'll try to fire the ball in that seam before the free safety can get over there. So you have really basically two free safeties when you see that, and both of them are responsible not for the run but they're responsible basically for the deep pass and, and taking care of, you know, the middle, of course, if there's a play thrown in the middle. And what they try to do on that is fake uh, a play to the outside and try to run a back or a tight end up the middle after they've got those free safeties to rotate to the, the corner areas or to the sideline. And that way you have man coverage with a linebacker or somebody out there on the back where they try to create a mismatch. Okay, and then uh, one last part on this. He didn't ask this, but I, I thought it might be interesting to talk about. What about when you switch to a nickel defense? You bring in an extra defensive back, an extra corner, an extra safety. How does that affect what the, the two deep safeties have to do? Well, what happens, you're basically taking out a, a more of a physical run linebacker, and you're bringing in a cover guy. Because when you go to a nickel, it's normally – third down or second down and long it would have to be second down in 20 or 15 to go to it on second down but a third down in in nine a third down in 10 or 15 then you're going to take out a a physical player uh, uh depending who that might be and 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 bring in a a a cover guy a guy that can cover better a guy that can either be a safety or a guy that can play the middle or spy a guy that uh, can play zone or man, depending on what you want to do. Mostly it's a, a zone defense. And what you do is you put a cover guy in there and take the run person out because it, if the team runs the ball and it's a third down situation and long, you have to feel that, you know, they're not going to make the first down. You've got to feel a play-action pass isn't what's going to do it. They're going to drop back and throw the football. So you're going to make that quarterback thread the seams. You're going to make him – be able to throw, we hope, an interception when you have the extra DB in there. And you know, who knows, your linebackers could be dropping too, so that's putting, you know, five, six, seven, eight guys, maybe you're rushing three, but in most situations, SC always rushes four guys. But you have seen it when the defensive end has dropped off too. In fact, I think it was Kyle Moore who picked off a pass. He did, yeah, you're and right. And ran it in for a touchdown. 
Yeah, they, they've done that zone blitzing kind of stuff you know, quite a bit. I mean, I don't know about all the time, but they've definitely used it in their packages, and it seems to work pretty well because they have athletic guys that can that can rush the passer but also drop back in the coverage like Kyle Moore, like you said. Yeah, and that happened, see, they were going to be throwing an out route or it was a tip pass or it was something, and the quarterback never expected to see him dropping back to that zone, somebody in front of the out guy. And the ball came right to him, and he ran it in for a touchdown, and so when you have athletic guys that you can do, then you can do more things. You see that in the pro. You'll even see sometimes in the pros, and, and you might even see it at SC. I, I can't remember the time they did that. When they don't even rush one of their tackles, they'll drop their tackle back out of there, and he'll become a cover guy. <laughs> and, and, and you'll see that especially in the, in the, uh, 50, the 50 defense uh, when the nose guy will drop off and a backer will rush, and the nose guy will cover the backer zone just to give the quarterback a different look, just to give the lineman a different look. And, uh, and they just switch assignments. It's just more things to prepare for. All right. So, Coach, we, we mentioned Taylor Mays at the top. I mean, it was part of the question, and you talked about some of his abilities and stuff. Uh, he mostly played free safety last year. He was kind of that center field guy. They really didn't have a lot of deep passes thrown against them. I mean, he's the fastest guy on the team. It's hard to get over the top of him besides his size. I mean, he looks like I mean, he looks like he could be a linebacker, let alone just a strong safety. I mean, he's big enough. Usually if you, you read stuff about it, you know, the, the free safety is like uh, more like closer to a cornerback than he is a linebacker. But Taylor Mays is obviously unique in that in that respect. And, uh, you know, he didn't make a lot of number plays like you didn't see the, the amount of tackles or pass defenses and stuff under his name. And I think they'll let him do that a little bit more, let him roam near the line of scrimmage, similar to what Kevin Ellison did last year, and make more plays and blow guys up, stuff like that. Um, I mean, just talking about what he can do, and you said it would help him with the NFL. I mean, have you seen a safety, I mean, anything like Taylor Mays? He just seems to be kind of a unique category onto himself. Yeah, he really is, and he's a preseason All-American for this next year. In fact, the USC secondary and most publications have been ranked the top in college uh, football. No, he's unique, and he's a tweener in a way. What I mean by that, where do you play him? You know, he could even be a defensive end. He could be a weak side linebacker in the NFL. But, you know, he's going to get bigger. He's 6'5", 235, or whatever he is. When you look at him, he gets bigger every year. I don't know what he's going to weigh this coming season, but when he matures and gets in the NFL, he could be 6'5", 250, 255, be a weak side linebacker, and be hellacious. But, they, but he's got to have more of an opportunity to play the run. And by playing the run, that's going to open the door for him as far as being able to exactly find out what is his position. Is he a free safety or is he not a free safety? You know, in the NFL, you know, there's a lot of different coverages that they use, and I don't know if they they feel completely uh, satisfied that he can really fit that free safety type of player. And and I think that now what he needs to do is to show that he's a very physical type of player because he's going to be a bigger player. And he could be a superstar player probably as a projected you know, strong safety or projected weak side linebacker. He can even play defensive end, but, you know, he's not used to playing the run that way. But what a great linebacker he could be, and with his speed and the backside rush 
and the speed as far as pursuing and so on. I mean, who knows what he could play? That's his problem. I think he could play a lot of positions that they're trying to figure out which one would be his best. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we, we hinted at this last week in the war room uh, um, with Dan Wykey. He's doing a little research on it. He talked to Taylor Mays, and the, uh, the word Heisman Trophy came up uh, in their conversation. We'll have a, a story on that coming up later on on uscfootball.com. You can read more of that. But having a guy, a defensive back like that, being such a, a jack-of-all-trades, I mean, that's something that maybe, you know, I don't think you'd be able to win it just as a defensive back. I mean, when guys have done it in the past, you got to return kicks and do stuff like that. you got to score touchdowns somehow or you're not going to win the Heisman, you know. Um, but, I mean, he's so fast and so unique. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you see Coach Carroll doing anything special with him, like letting him return some kicks and punts, or is he just too valuable on the defense? No, I, I don't think he'll be returning kicks. Uh, I don't think he's – I haven't seen him run with the football, Okay. I've seen him intercept the football and so on, but I haven't seen him really run with the football with the ability of cutting back and so on. Maybe you have, but I haven't. And uh, uh, I don't think you'll see him doing that. I, I really don't. I think he'll play what he's – and you talk about a Heisman Trophy. I'd like to see him have that opportunity. The only way he'd, he'd be a candidate for the Heisman Trophy is doing what they're doing to him and allowing him to get in the game. But when you're free safety, you don't get many calls. No. I mean, you know, you don't you don't ever make a tackle, Harley, or you are possibly if a guy makes a long run, or you're 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 down the field, not uh, tipping balls away, or or maybe occasionally making a, a brilliant interception like he's done, jumping high in the air and and catching the ball. But this is a tough year to talk Heisman when you got Tebow back, <laughs> Bradford back, McCoy back. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's a tough year. To, but I will tell you what, he's a kid. That if he if they turn him loose and he's the type of player that people thinks he can be. Remember, it's very difficult when you haven't played up front to learn how to do that. So uh, I think it's going to be. And I didn't watch him that much in the spring doing that. I didn't see him blitzing that much in the spring. So now and, and don't get me wrong, spring is you save a lot. You don't show everything in the spring. Also. So uh, I, I'm interested to see the first several games, especially the Ohio State game. I don't know if they'll show much special uh, against San Jose State yet. San Jose State will come to play. But I'm really anxious to see just how they play Taylor Mays. Interesting, too. You know, I don't know. Is it a stretch, Coach, to have him be a tight end on goal line situations and catch a few touchdown passes that way? No, I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think you're going to move him over and, and do that at some schools you have to do that but you don't have the depth okay but at usc with the caliber of players they have and the depth they have at tight end and so on all you would do is create a i i think you'd create a morale problem because you've got two or three top tight ends and couple coming in that you know if you can't believe it my ability is a tight end and don't bring me in you know what i mean yeah it makes sense coach we're just playing around with it but we look forward to uh dan's article it should be interesting he's going to talk to uh the Heisman Pundit from HeismanPundit.com, too. He's got his, all these Heismanments on rules you need to win the Heisman. Obviously, I don't think that would be happening with Taylor, but it's just kind of funny to talk about sometimes. But, hey, Coach, thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts. And We always get like the technical discussions. People end up sending us a lot of questions on that. It's good to hear what you have to say about the free safety and strong safety positions. I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the future. Well, A.D., we want to thank you very much for your comments and for all of you out there that have uh, some questions for us. 
we'll do our very best uh, to get to those questions because we're getting closer and closer to the football season. And when we get closer to the football season, we'll be more focused in on every game and what happened in the next game and so on. So let's get these questions answered now during the summer. Certainly, yeah. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. want to thank Coach Hyde and all our guests. Thanks uh, to Southern California Tickets as well, sctickets.com. Thanks for your sponsorship. Everyone else, we'll be back next week talking Trojan football. Stay tuned till then. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.